I wasn't excellent at anything. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not trying to, and, and I think this is an advantage to me. I always had to work hard, but I had a very yeah. strong discipline, which helped me get very good grades in school, be a better athlete, et cetera. But it was knowing that I could, oh, I was in total control of my own ethics and following them that was really made me feel like I was myself. Welcome to Wise Words and Whiskey. I'm your host, Wiley McGraw. Join me with other great guests as we sip good whiskey and talk about all things high performance. So kick back, pour yourself a nice dram and settle in for some low-key conversations on high performance living. Let's jump in. For those of you that are hanging out with us today, I want you to meet Alexandra Paul. Alexandra is a former model and actress with hundreds of different pro uh, projects under her belt. But for, for some of us, we know her for her iconic role in the original TV series Baywatch. She's also an activist, a committed activist for animal rights, for environment, for peace, for gay rights, and actually has been arrested on many different occasions for her commitment to her beliefs for these causes. Currently, she runs a very successful podcast called Switch for Good with her partner, Dotsie Bausch, where they usher in a new awareness for the need to be dairy-free and live a vegan, healthy lifestyle with amazing interviews with cutting-edge leaders in the field of health and wellness. And to top it all off, what's amazing is she runs her own company as a health and wellness coach. There's a reason why I brought her on. I did not bring her on for all of her public accomplishments that you can look up yourself and read about. I brought her on here today to discuss mental and emotional weakness, how she overcame her own experiences of that herself, why society is suffering with it really predominantly right now, and if she sees the differences when she coaches and leads other people to change their lifestyle to a more dairy-free, vegan, healthy alternative. But before we get into that, that's a lot to unpack there. I want to go ahead and crack open this amazing whiskey that I found for Alexandra because Alexandra does not drink. She is definitely alcohol-free, and I respect that. And there's a lot of people in this audience that are alcohol-free as well. But this is Monday whiskey. It's a very special type of whiskey. It's vegan, non-alcoholic. There's no sugar in it whatsoever. I want to open up a bottle, pour ourselves a little bit of a glass here, Alexandra, like we talked about prior to recording. I know I'm excited to try it with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so it's, much for having me on the show. And uh, of course, so. of course. Well, you know, what's interesting, Alexandra, the reason why it's wise words and whiskey is marrying the love that I have for high performance living and the work that I do with powerful and prominent people, leaders, et cetera, but also with my appreciation for the craft of standards that these malt masters, these distillers have for these spirits. And what I noticed as being a, uh, my family being from Scotland, you know, growing up around whiskey connoisseurs, um, is that people tend to abuse alcohol. And there's a, a lack of understanding and appreciation for why they create spirits like this. So I wanted to marry the love that I have for high performance living with the standards of this type of whiskey production so that the audience can as well learn how to change their relationship to consuming alcohol. Because if you're going to consume it, why not change the way in which you consume it and how you understand and appreciate it 
Hence the whole point of what we're doing here right now. So this one specifically was for you because it's a vegan, non-alcoholic whiskey, because I know you don't drink. We're going to sip a little bit of it neat. But before we jump into that real quick, the beautiful part, Alexandra, is learning how to appreciate it from the nose to the palate to the finish. So smelling it, getting a very subjective, wow, that's like butterscotch and almost like a, a gingerbread or a sugar cookie. You yes, that? I did. I, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. I wasn't sure what I was smelling, but I, it was, it's nice. It is nice. Well, it's great about that is people that I've, I know personally, they go, I don't like whiskey because it's so harsh on you. And I don't know how to appreciate it. Well, if we learn to use our senses and we change our appreciation through the senses, it, it, it completely transforms our ability to actually limit. I have a friend of mine who stopped drinking so much because he learned how to actually appreciate spirits. He laid down his like twice, three times a week. Now he only does it once every two weeks, but the nose prep, it like preps your palate for what might be coming. So if you want to, let's go ahead and toast to this, this conversation we're about to have, as we say in Gaelic, slancha, which is actually interesting to your health. Cheers. (laughs) Slancha. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You can spit it out. Like you said, if you don't like it. (laughs) Oh, I mean, interesting. It's, it's not bad at all. I don't know what whiskey tastes like and I didn't even know what it smells like, but I'm a person who just drinks hot water and lemon and water. It's like, I'm, Oh, I love that. Water, you know, liquids. My palate is very dull. So this is a really interesting mixture. It is. Yeah. You know, and for being non-alcoholic and given the fact that I have an experience with whiskey, this is actually a pretty good alternative. People that are listening to us right now, as we're getting into this, this could be a, a really good alternative to them as well. And what I'm getting from it is it could be a mixer of sorts. As It could be something that people use in different types of drinks, but it's fantastic. It's like smooth. It's not overbearing. I don't get a really, I like spicy whiskeys too. So I appreciate the little bit of spice at the end of this. Yeah. My mom likes whiskey. I'm going to have to bring it to her and see how, how it compares with her traditional Scottish whiskey. Oh, I can't wait to hear oh, that's, that's I, I love scotch myself. So I definitely understand that. But what, what's fantastic, if you'll indulge with me just a moment before we jump into this conversation, we have a little bit of water. I think it'd be great too, is if we try it from a, a different perspective, if you can add a little splash of water and folks, if you're listening to this, adding water to a glass of whiskey actually opens up the profile of the spirit itself. It creates a different flavor. It expands the notes. So if you want, if you, Alexander, put a little water in there. Let's give it a shot and see what. It's smoother. Feels. Yeah. Yeah. What is that flavor I'm getting? Interesting. Caramel. It's a very smooth caramel flavor to that. Do you notice that as well? Yes. And how does it compare to the whiskey you had last well, I had a bourbon uh, with another guest, and that's a very small amount of it. But what's interesting is this is the art of whiskey making, is it's completely subjective. And what's beautiful is it's very minimal ingredients. It's the barrels and the aging process that really creates the differences that people experience. So I got to tell you, for being a non-alcoholic and vegan whiskey, I actually appreciate that. And if I ever want it, because I don't like to drink a lot either. I don't like the way it makes me feel if I have too much, especially being a lightweight. 
that this could be something where I could put it in a little like old fashioned or like a little fun mixer without having to worry about the sugar overload to the body or, you know, the alcohol impacts to the liver, et cetera. So I like it. I think it's pretty cool. I'm really glad you got to well, try this with me. thank you so much for exposing me to a non-alcoholic vegan whiskey. I'm going to tell all my friends because really, I think it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to, Alexander. I wanted to make sure that you felt comfortable and that we could have a good conversation over a really fun beverage. And especially for those that aren't drinkers in the audience, they now know Monday Whiskey is the name of it. They actually have a mezcal, a vodka, and a gin as well, I think. Oh. So there's, it's a very interesting, interesting uh, company doing some really good stuff. But uh, yeah, without, without further ado, I want to kind of get back to the point of having you here. It's, it's, Going, I mean, I know that's a lot to unpack there when it comes to mental and emotional weakness. And what I mean by that is, I know you've gone through your experiences in life. That's what you help do for people right now when it comes to changing their lifestyle, changing their approach to their health, and creating more, I would say, strength in who they are, because fundamentally, that's the whole point of living a good life. Um, but the point I wanted to, to, to share with people and unpack with you is... Um, mental, emotional weakness, where in your life or how you overcame any version of that yourself, why you think society is still suffering with that, and how does a vegan lifestyle actually make a difference for people's ability to live stronger? And I want to unpack that with you. Let's jump in here. Okay. Well, yeah. when, it, when I think of um, a weakness of mine that I, when I was and I think it's just basically my humanness and my pain coming out in a certain way. But when I was a teenager, I started to use food um, in a way instead of expressing my feelings. So I either restricted it or when people noticed I got too thin and started bothering me about it, I became bulimic and was unable to, um, to stop binging basically I, I didn't have control over food you I mean it could be alcohol for one person or gambling or sex for another person shopping we all pick our poisons and I think in this society we all have a lot of we all deal with poisons um, and we have because there's so many around us right of um, course yeah absolutely so so yeah when I was um uh 15, I became anorexic and then solved that uh, by becoming bulimic, which is basically binging and purging. And it's very, it's uh -huh. a very um, good thing. It's a good way for someone like I to act out because it was, you know, permissible to use food. I wasn't doing drugs or alcohol as a teenager. Um, and it's hard. It's easy to hide. It's not easy to hide, but you can hide it because Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And so I, you know, yeah. I became, I was a model and I was bulimic. Uh, I became an actress and I was highly bulimic. I was functioning well, but um, to the world, but not in my own daily. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to you. I wanted to add that because you were, you've played in different movies. That I even loved growing up. Uh, you know, Dragnet was one of them. Uh, I think Christine was the other one. Like Baywatch, I watched, and I know a bunch of my friends, especially being in the military, we really liked, just kind of like those fun, you know, culturally awesome shows. And you definitely, you want to talk about hiding it. There, you could have never guessed that that was something you might have been dealing with, especially in your modeling career. Everything that you exude a completely different energy of you. So it's interesting you brought up hiding it. And I think that's the biggest problem with people nowadays. It's easy to hide. Um, 
emotional instability and, and, and mental weaknesses and things that people are afraid to, to admit they have a problem with and they don't have the right kind of support systems around them that really allow them to express what's really underneath all of that, causing that kind of desire or, or, or um, action or uh, decision-making. So I, I just wanted to at least share that with you, that it was definitely something that was not seen on the surface, but I can understand where you're coming from, which is a big part of even the work I do, is understanding energetically what we are carrying around inside us. How does that affect the successes we experience in life? How does that affect our relationships? How does that affect our performance, our mindset, our emotions? And I think you've learned a very serious, amazing lesson, which is what has driven you to do so many amazing things that you do now as a health and wellness coach. You're a, a staunch activist for all these amazing causes, and you're willing to sacrifice your own comforts for the right type of standards and values that really matter. So I wanted to kind of at least share that, that from my perspective and what I've experienced from knowing you um, and continue on with that. Well, I do think you talked about secrets and I do think that we're yeah. uh, the, the um, 12 step program, which there's, of course, everyone knows alcoholics and anonymous, but there's also programs for people who deal with drugs and um, uh, sex right. and food uh, shopping, they're all sorts, but the tenets, one of the, the, the phrases that we use is you're only as sick as your secrets. And if you can be more honest mm. about what's going on, you're more apt to get healthy. So I didn't, I actually did. My friends knew that I was bulimic, but I would never call them when I was actually in the middle of a binge and then throwing up, I would always tell them afterwards in a very matter of fact way. Oh yeah. I had a bad night last night. Um, Th those movies that you that you mentioned, Christine and Dragnet, I was bulimic during those, um, and but I was not bulimic. I was I had um, gone to I had had many years of therapy, but I had gone to a, a OA Overeaters Anonymous the twelve step program when I was twenty seven, and within a month I stopped throwing up after twelve years of throwing up, and um, I wouldn't have said yes to Baywatch if I was still bulimic because. It came along the next year. I mean, having to be in a bathing suit every day, I think it just would have put so much stress on me. I, my food would have gone crazy. So I, I was, I'm really grateful that I was in such a good place when I was offered that job. And I actually was, the interesting thing is, is that when you stop your addiction, <clears throat> um, well, my, my weight stabilized and went to a place that was actually lower than when I was bulimic. Um, and that was made me happy because I wanted to be a lower weight. Um, and I did, and I realized I didn't have to throw up to get to it or, or abuse myself. But as with so many addictions, the reason that you become addicted in the first place is not the reason that you keep doing it. So I probably became, Whoa. so you become addicted. I I'll speak for myself. I became Please. No, I want to hear that. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, please. Well, I used food because I wasn't using my voice. In fact, ironically, if you listen to me mm. in, the, in the early movies in my 20s, I had a little voice like this. And the sound people kept right. having to say, Alexandra, will you please speak up? And I didn't know how yeah. to speak up and because I had cut off my voice, probably literally made it softer so that I could be more acceptable, more feminine. Um, less seen because then I might be criticized. So it was sa safer. So um, I, I didn't express myself in my teenage years and my twenties. And I used food to treat myself, to be naughty, to be 
to mm. express my anger that I didn't express. Um, and so it worked. I mean, I suppose it's a survival mechanism. Everything we, I don't believe in, um, self-sabotage. I believe everything we do is to try and protect ourselves, but sometimes we don't make the wisest decisions on how to protect ourselves. <laughs> right. But, um, and and right. sometimes it works. Like if someone, you know, I probably needed that comfort of food then, and I didn't know how to do it any other way. And then in my twenties, I was just an addict to food. I didn't know I was, it became not about the reason I first started it, which was probably to comfort myself and to treat myself because I wasn't really taking care of myself in other ways. Yeah. Soothing. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's what I mean is that in the end, after 12 years, it became, um, it was a way to cope with everything. It didn't really solve anything. What was the impetus though, too, though, to really like, I, I asked that question, like, how did you overcome your own experience with that? And I use that term mental and emotional weakness. Again, it doesn't mean if anybody's listening to this, that you're less than, or you're not good enough. What it is, is just identifying a very, um, I want to use that. I'm using those terms to create some feeling inside people, but how did you overcome that? Because it's identified, it's understood, but what really was the impetus to drive you to go, okay. Enough of the small voice, enough of the, you know, being playing not, not to the power that I am, because now, I mean, even our interactions prior to coming on the show today, you're very, you're very intelligent. You have a very, very confident, powerful energy. You stand tall. You do not, like I said, you, it's ostensibly clear. You do not phone it in. You are very much living the, the life of evolution in high performance and standards with your personal life and your career. I get a feeling from you kind of like, Hey, if you're going to stand for something, stand for it. It doesn't matter. So what, what was the really powerful moment that you found that transitioned you from all of that experience into where you are now? What drove you to do that and face those weaknesses? And I use air quotes to those that are listening to us on like, you know, to make sure that they understand what, what was that specifically that forced you to do that or you wanted to, to do to make those changes? Well, after 12 years of being bulimic, uh, I didn't think I could ever not be bulimic. In fact, I, I couldn't. Oh, I, I was amazed that people had a normal relationship with food and didn't feel this actual emptiness inside their sternum that they had to, I had a discomfort, a physical, I had a physical discomfort in my sternum that I had to squash down with food um, mm. for years. And I, and whenever I was agitated, the first thing I would think of was I need to, I need to eat because I didn't want to feel the agitation. I didn't want to feel my feelings. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. of, of anger yeah, or whatever it was, as a woman, also appetites, you know, appetites are unfeminine. Having a large sexual appetite, especially meant that you were a slut as a woman. And for man, it's considered macho. If you have a large appetite for um, uh, fun, that means you're kind of a raucous, you're kind of a broad, you're not ladylike. Having an appetite for food is not ladylike either. So I had squished my appetites down to what I thought was a feminine thing. And I think what the change was literally my friend Jocelyn asked me, how, how's it going with the throwing up? And I said, it's fine. I think I throw up once a month now, but it's like a whole day. So it's a whole day where I eat, binge, throw up. So it probably four times in that day, I'll binge and throw up. So I had kind of managed it. And she said, 
I thought that was going to be how it was going to be because I couldn't imagine coping with things in any other way. And she said, is that, is fine good enough? And I went, oh, no, it's not. And I got myself into a 12-step program. And I mean, and I think therapy helped me understand why that I wasn't setting boundaries with people, that I wasn't doing what I wanted because I was so wanting to please other people and be acceptable. But yeah, that was the start of it. And then now I set very firm boundaries. It's a matter of time. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> that's why, exactly. That's why I even introducing you to people, and I'm going to reiterate it, is that, God, the fact that you are in the, reading your stories, you're willing to even be arrested for your your beliefs. You're willing to, to go out on the edge. You're someone who stands completely tall, confident, knows exactly what she wants. You speak your mind. You don't care about the, the comforts. And that's a big swing from your days of you just intimately sharing with, with me right now. And all of us that, I mean, I'm feeling it like in my chest, like I can imagine again, it is unfortunate. That's the societal thing that women don't do X, Y, Z, but men do. Um, and you were put in this box that you didn't know any other way to express yourself. And I, you know, I study energetic uh, you know, expression from like color science and uh, this lady who created this, this system, she was the uh, robust, you know, very like push pull dynamic type of woman, but because women are supposed to be X, they're supposed to be demure, supposed to be seen, not heard. She was like really mad about being forced to wear dresses. She couldn't, you know, feel the way she wanted to feel. And then she had to break free of it. And she lived a similar life where it was the repression, the oppression, et cetera. And I think society is still kind of trying to break itself out of that idea of what a woman is supposed to and be you versus what a man is supposed to be. I mean, you as a man also have similar pressures to be the breadwinner, to look a certain, there are, and I, as a health coach, I know men have a lot of pressure and feel shame if they don't look a certain way also right um so we all right. have our burdens no doubt no doubt um and that and you know what's crazy is that we as people are all operating in this reality together and it's weird that we're putting these restrictions on each other rather than finding balance in our our ability to thrive in our own space while supporting one another to thrive in their own space it's weird how we and again it goes back to that mental and emotional weakness it was but that, that's the, the problem here. You're right. Men, same thing. When I grew up, it was strong, big. You have to be this. You have to get a job. You have to do all. It's like, come on now. That, that's not allowing me to be the man that I really am at the core. And I found the same thing with a lot of guys I served in the military with. We were addicted to certain things, too. We found ourselves trying to cope with the emotional instability we might have been suppressing. We, we try to figure out what our thoughts really meant. Why do we feel this way when it comes to our sexuality? Why do we want X, Y, Z? And this is the problem I think we're facing as a whole here, which is why I, I brought this very specific point up. The other part of it is what have you noticed though, since you've gotten into this new, you've been doing it a while now, what is it about being dairy free, living a vegan, healthy lifestyle that you see the difference in people's lives from where you came from? So I, I stopped throwing up when I was 28. So that, that was a 12 year deal and I'm now 59. So about 13 years ago, I became vegan. I had been vegetarian since I was 14 though. So I always, um, I, I sort of believed, yeah, doing the right thing was very important to me always. Um, so it, it, I was a vegetarian way before, you know, back in the, it was 75, 76. And they thought you'd die if you didn't have 
Right. I'm just eating a tough <laughs> right. dairy. Um, oh my goodness. So I just, I think it's always my mother taught me, taught us children. I have a brother and a sister um, who are also activists and, and, and actually happen to be vegan too, um, about the, the, doing the right thing is important in your everyday life. It's the hardest thing. Okay. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's the biggest challenge. And I never really felt that I was, I never felt I was, I was never very good at anything. I mean, I was, I'm sorry. I wasn't excellent at anything. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not trying to, and, and I think this is an advantage to me. I always had to work hard, but I had a very yeah. strong discipline, which helped me get very good grades in school, be a better athlete, et cetera. But it was knowing that I could, oh, I was in total control of my own ethics and following them that was really made me feel like I was myself. Yes. Okay. No one could take that away. You said, no. And you know what? You're right. And something just stuck out to me too is it's, we don't have enough containment from the right type of support that provides us the ability to explore our very range of emotions and desires and standards and values. We're caught up in a, a system of people where we are told to emulate and mimic others to achieve success, happiness, joy, satisfaction. And I know plenty of people that go, well, I, I'm going to do X because so-and-so does this. And, I, and, and they end up suffering trying to do it that way rather than finding out, like you did, what are my values? What are my standards? What am I willing to sacrifice at all costs for them? And then exploring that no matter what happens as the consequence, we don't have anything that allows people to do that more freely in this, this society today, especially now we're very stressed out as a, as a culture and we're very completely, I think we're a little bit more broken than we've ever been. And, and it's, we need people that, like what you're doing in your company to give people the atmosphere and the environment and the support so they can no longer feel oppressed in their ability to explore what are, what are my standards? How do I want to operate in my life? Am I someone who phones it in or am I willing to do whatever it takes, no matter what cost that is on my shoulders? Kind of like what you've gone through. It's like you have an amazing stance on animal rights, the environment, peace, gay rights, all these important issues. And I don't even call them causes because they're just, they're just, it's life. We create these weird compartmentalized ways of which we approach them. I look at it as these are just things and issues that people are having a hard time with. You're going, no, we need to look at, integrate them the right way. Here's how we do it. Let me show you what standards and values and beliefs are all about. And then that gives people the inspiration to go, you know what, what is it that I stand for? What is it that I want? What am I willing to do? Alexandra is leading me the right way. She showed me what she's all about. Let me figure out what I'm in versus trying to mimic you and be like you. And I think that's a big part that's missing right now and why people are mentally and emotionally weak in their own lives because they're trying hard to do what other people do rather than what they know they want to do and what they feel is right for them. Would you agree with that? I think probably social media is a big, big thing. To say yes, as a health coach and you're a coach, so you understand I don't put any of my value, my clients, some of them don't know that I'm vegan because I don't talk about myself and I don't push them towards veganism at all. I ask them what kind of lifestyle works for them and most of them eat meat. So I need to support them in that because that's their journey. It took me 33 years to go from vegetarian to vegan. 
how can I stop anybody else's journey? We don't even need to discuss. I mean, if they ask me, I will, I will say what I, well, they need to add a ton of vegetables and fruit and nuts and beans um, and seeds. And that, that is, I very, I'm very clear about, and there's some things I'm extremely clear, but as a health coach, I really make sure not to impose my own values. And you asked earlier about how being vegan helped me in my journey uh, expressing myself. I would say that especially directly with food, one of the reasons it took me so long to go from vegetarian to vegan wasn't because of my values, because I'd given up wearing animals in my 20s, no wool, leather, silk ever. Um, and it's not easy in the 80s to try and find shoes, decent shoes, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I shopped at Sears, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. Even when right. I was had to go on the red carpet. But um, yeah. So when I was afraid that if I restricted, quote unquote, restricted my diet, that I would go back to being a restrictive eater and either become anorexic or bulimic again. This was my fear. So mm -hmm. I always used it as an excuse why I wasn't going to change my diet from vegetarian to anything else, uh, to vegan. Okay. And vegan for your audience is someone who, uh, vegetarian, you don't eat anything that was killed uh, for its meat, but uh, vegan is not using any animal products, either eating right. them. So that means honey, gelatin, milk, uh, things like that, cheese. Um, right, right. So when I when I finally took the step to actually take out dairy, which was the only thing left uh, in my life, but it was a pretty big part of my life. Dairy encompasses cheese and milk and ice cream and frozen yogurt and all sorts of yummy things. It was so interesting that I actually became my because my values were aligned with my diet, and I'm a person who needs mm. to have values aligned with how I act. I actually became even more at peace with my body and food than I had ever been because food became something like a higher power. Like I was doing something more than just yeah. eating for pleasure or sustenance. I was helping the world. Um, so that was yes. huge for me. And it changed yeah. me irrevocably. Um, and I would say that in my life, the three best things I've ever done is give that, that really have been keys to my happiness is, is given up being bulimic and um, purge, binging and purging, marrying my husband. We've been together for 27 years and and very, very happy and in love still. And he, you know, he is so important, love but it. I don't think I ever would have chosen him or found him if I wasn't, if I was still bulimic. I wouldn't have allowed anybody so I close. See. And then the third thing is being becoming vegan. It really changed me amazingly. Who would think, right? Just the way I look at the world. Right. That's a, sorry, I'm, that's a very long tangent, but- no, it's fine. This is a, they don't apologize because uh, I love it. I, I'm just feeling into what you're saying and I'm sharing, I, I'm sharing in, 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 in emotionally because you're right. It's, I love what you said. First and foremost, you said, I'm a kind of coach who does not impose my beliefs or values on others. Now for me, the work that I do, um, is very holistic and integrated into the individual's lives. I only work with two to three people per year. It's very different from a t traditional personal development space and the clients I work with are celebrities, public figures, et cetera. And I don't come into their lives to, to show them you do it like me. What I do is I expose the truth about who they really are so they can identify truly what their own values actually are, not what they think they've been operating by. So what I think is beautiful is you're the type of coach who goes, here's who I am. 
This is what has powered me to be this leader in the industry that I've, I've committed my life to. People are feeling that and they're wanting your support, whether they're meat eaters or not. And if they ask you, then you can apply into that. Hey, here's kind of how I have been doing it. Now, again, your body might be different. Your desires might be different. Well, let's explore. This is what's missing in the world of support for other people who are feeling like you felt when you were in your 20s, unexpressed. Because I, and the other part of it, Alexandra, which is beautiful, is I grew up in a, in a household where um, it was very staunch athletics. I had to be this elite athlete. I had to be a star baseball player. Um, and my emotions were not allowed either. Coming from stoic, you know, Scottish immigrants, you know, the whole World War II vets, military. So the emotionality aspect of it, I loved leaning into my food too growing up because food was a place for me to feel intimacy and connection and emotion. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it's amazing when you start realizing what you're using to compensate for what should be just expressing who you really are is powerful when you start identifying that and having support that goes, you know what? No, this is why you're using it. Let's explore what you really want, what you really are desiring. And that then births your true north, if you will. So you can go find out. It's amazing what you just said, because there's so many clients I've worked with in the year, 14 years I've been doing what I'm doing, that go after 30 years of being in the personal development space as a public figure, this is not what I wanted to be doing my entire life. This is not the way I wanted to be eating, sleeping, relating, having fun, et cetera, and getting true exposure to who they really are because of the type of support like you offer that is what transforms somebody's ability to actually change their habits and their addictions and start leaning into different values that they were told were not good enough or not right. Or just, you know, once you settle down, once you be quiet, once you follow my lead. Yeah. So I can go on for hours with you on that. So that's, don't, don't apologize. Please keep adding into that. I think there's so many different, very, very valuable wise words you are sharing with people right now that they need to hear because a lot of people out there feel very oppressed and expressing themselves. I feel um, my heart goes out to people who don't feel like they're on their path. And I do, do choose to become right. a health coach and not a life coach because I understand the pain <laughs> of what it is to um, abuse food and over-exercise and feel like I don't look good. Um, and so I, I think right. I concentrated on being a wellness coach because I also believe that even if someone doesn't have eating disorder or disordered eating or body dysmorphia, if they can just tweak there and get a strong base in terms of their daily routine, in terms of health, everything else will get easier. So you don't have to be yeah. just desperate <clears throat> to have a health coach. It just makes everything easier when you eat well, <laughs> exercise regularly, get enough sleep. It's, and you know, because you do that, it, it's a foundation that you can then cope with the world. Yeah. You changes your way in which you manage and deal and understand stress that consequently then affects your performance. Your performance is then what creates the experiences that you say you want your goals, your desires. Therefore you end up living a life of values and standards rather than trying to figure it out or chase it. And I think that's a big shift right there. What you just said is people need the right environment so they can explore what matters to them most. And I think that's another part of the people who are listening right now, business owners and CEOs, et cetera, that they're like, I don't really know what, what is it that I want the most? Start with the foundations of health. Look at yourself from a wellness standpoint. Wellness is more than just what you eat. 
It's more than just your physical body. It's emotionality. It's mental space and capacity. It's awareness. It's your ability to manage and understand stressful moments and situations like you do. You lean into un- uncomfortable situations because you understand and value the, uh, I would say, what is it? The fuel that it provides. You like and understand that the fears that come up are important for us to know change is happening. We're facing something challenging. And if we can give ourselves permission, if we can't do it on our own, find someone that can give us the space so that we feel like we're supported to then have that permission to embrace that, that can then start to, to incrementally change our habits and our, and our mindset and our emotions around what it is we want to create for ourselves so we can break free from the chains that bind us to addictions and coping mechanisms and things like that. So it's very powerful. It's... um. What I do is just a small focus on that, although it does extend, you're right. When you find out why someone's not sleeping properly or they're not eating well or choosing not to, or not fitting in exercise, you could, you start to look at other areas of their life and see that they need a little tweak to get so that, so everything is connected. It is, you know, it's interesting. I'm dairy free too. I don't. Um, and one of the things I studied years ago, uh, uh, very much into health, like the uh, alternative medicine and holistic health and getting into that world is doctors that I've met over the years who do body type, body typing and understanding organ dominance on how our bodies function. Um, I found that I'm a lymph body type. So my lymphatic system is my dominant organ that dictates the power that my entire system has. So lymph body types can't eat cheese, can't do dairy because it clogs up the lymph system. Yeah, so it's like when I learned that. How do you find that? out what your uh, body type is? It's so you just like there's a like there's different resources. There's a doctor that does body type diet. That's kind of the thing as well. There's like different organ dominance. Oh. So there's 25 different body types for the specific diets where lymph body types are very athletic. Our bodies are longer. You can see it from psychological traits to physical traits to, um, and then you learn how to eat when you're feeling weak versus how do you eat when you feel strong, you learn what you need to eat that matters. So for me, it's like, I don't do dairy at all. I can't, if I do dairy, I get very sluggish. My sinuses kind of get clogged up. I start to feel very, uh, apathetic in a way. And from a physicality standpoint, um, and what's great is, but lymph body types like spicy foods, Thai foods, hot sauces, because it cleans it out. So it gives me this understanding of where my, f- my health actually powers me in the work that I do. It's, it's a fundamental that I will not waver from, which is why even with the show, a little bit of whiskey here and there. Okay. I understand my standards. I don't go above and beyond that because of the standard in my commitment to the excellence that I want to, to live by so that the clients I support can see that it's okay to do the same. That's what you're doing as well. So you're, you're giving people the atmosphere to go, you know what? It's okay for me to lean into new changes for my health, finding out what works, what doesn't. Getting rid of sugar was one of the biggest things I did 10 years ago. Detoxing off of it completely. I love it. My palate thanked me for it. It's like, I can't do sugar anymore. I might have a little bit of, I eat a little fruit, but I look at the, the ingredients, I go, I can't do it. I'm not going to do the coconut sugars. I'm not going to do the regular canes, the molasses, all the different. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. My hormones thank me. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. So You mentioned something at the very beginning of the show about savoring tea yes. and alcohol. And it, it reminded me that when people take the time to actually savor, they're in the present moment of uh, an alcohol or a food, 
they're not doing it. They're not eating emotionally or drinking emotionally. They're so that kind of awareness in our life is very important. And I haven't binged since I was 28. I haven't binged at all. But the other day, last week, I was on a stressful fall. I can't remember exactly, but I literally went down to the kitchen and started eating and I didn't even really like it. And I went, I had to tell myself, Alexandra, why are you eating? And it was because I was, I was distracting myself. I wasn't savoring. I wasn't in the present moment with what I was eating. I was literally yeah. just wanting to fill my time with food so I didn't have to think about the stress. So when one savors something, uh, it not only lowers one's blood pressure, and, and but it makes one totally present with whatever the sub the um, substance is. And that is not that is the exact opposite of an alcohol an addict is to savor and to yes. take time and to be present. I know when I was binging, I became right. completely not. It was like I have a client who struggles with binging, and she says it's like she becomes somebody else. You can't stop her. She is. She is has a one track mind, and that is to binge and get as much food as her as possible. And so you're not savoring or enjoying or being in touch with your body when you're like. You're right. I love that you brought that back up, savoring it again. And I I introduced so many different folks that I know that are drinkers, and I like I sh I think I shared I did share it. I have a friend that stopped drinking so much, yeah. and he said. The way in which you helped me, you helped not only educate me on how to actually appreciate the spirit, but what it did was it slowed me down in the process of appreciation, uh, appreciating the spirit, which then turned around and allowed me to enjoy it more, which then made me physically stop craving more alcohol on a weekly basis. He goes, it's weird how that works. And you're right. Savoring is a, it slows you down and brings you grounded into the moment because it's interesting. When I was a kid, I used to close my eyes when I would eat. Uh, every bite I would take, I would close my eyes and I would appreciate the bite in the moment. I didn't know I was doing it, but I got made fun of for that. And it was constant laughing at me of Wiley's weird doing this, you know, but being this, you know, emotionally connected guy and understanding myself as a young kid, I was appreciating the foods. I was appreciating the moments. I, I used to do that as a kid growing up, out playing in the fields, looking at flowers. And even though I was an athlete and I was doing really cool, fun, radical stuff as a young guy, it was still just this part of me that appreciated nature and life and being present. And it's amazing how society beats that out of us. And it tells us to stop doing that. You're, you're a man, act like this. You're a woman, be this way. And it's like, we've got to get back to the fundamental thing that you made a good point, Alexandra. And I want the audience to hear that is presence comes from an ability to savor the moment and savor the things you have in that moment and learn to slow down so you can understand them and why you're using them. And that's one of the biggest things I even talk about with the clients. And my wife and I talk about it too, is um, if people want to use cannabis, if they want to use alcohol, if they want to use different types of psychedelics, slow down for a moment, ask yourself a question. Why do I want to use this? What is the true purpose behind my desire for it right now? And if you can give yourself that kind of permission to just take that moment, why do I want to get high right now? Oh, I'm dealing with stress. Like you said, I went downstairs and I started out. What, what am I doing? I'm, oh my gosh, I just didn't want to deal with the stress. So my natural, it's just like a muscle memory thing. It was to put something in the place to create some pleasure that didn't, didn't allow me to feel that stress. The same thing with, with marijuana, alcohol. Why am I doing I this? Think 
which is why I spent eight years not drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, please. To interrupt you. Yeah. No, you're fine. That's way. Interrupt all the um, way. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I I suggest the question. What am I feeling? What am I really feeling? Mm. Because when we have to go right, when that's which is when I asked myself down in the kitchen, I realized I was agitated about what had just happened, and so I needed to look at that instead of eating. Um, it's sort of like, what are you? What's eating you rather than what you're eating? A lot of people want to focus on the substance, like you shouldn't mm. drink, you shouldn't, um, you know, why are you so thin? Why are you so fat? What? But no, no, it's, it's, it's what's the pain? That's the question we should be asking. What's the feeling? So, yeah. Right. And you know, good, good point. I want everyone hearing, hearing that, sit with that for a minute or a second or however long, what is the feeling society in America, especially we are so overworked in our heads. We are, it's this constant, especially the cliche mindset, 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 think, think, think nobody's connecting to the feeling. Nobody's connecting to the emotion. And that is a big component of living a very healthy, balanced, optimal life. When you have the dynamic holistic nature of you being a human being, you're not your brain. There's so much more going on here. So again, you just made a valuable point of why the wise words that really matter is what's the feeling. And I think what we do is we have this weird connotation or it's like we define feelings as woo woo or esoteric and like strange. You know, we, we, I grew up in a household where again, emotions, I'm sure you did too. I've, emotions are the last thing that anybody needs to, 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 to showcase men were very stoic. You're not supposed to be emotional. And well, what do you do with that? We, we have them. They're there. What am I supposed to, what am I supposed to think? And one of the things I learned over the years, studying psychology and getting into health and wellness and, and coming out of the military after three combat tours. And I want to know more about my emotions. I want to know more about, I was an emotionally loving kid and that kind of got beat out of me as I got older. I want, I want back to that. I want that version of me alive and, and thriving. It's amazing how, my emotions, I realize, aren't negative or positive. They're emotions. They're there. They're a guidance system. It's what we do with them and how we relate to them that creates the negative or positive experiences. Right. Going back to your thing. Yeah. What's the feeling? Yeah. So I had a friend of mine who smoked marijuana. What's, I asked him, what is the purpose of you getting high on a daily basis? And he, you know what he said? He goes, holy macro. He goes, I, I'm afraid to look at myself and what limitations or weaknesses that I have. He goes, my, I'm afraid of my own truth. I'm afraid of my stress. I'm afraid of facing the reality that I'm not as good as I think I am. He goes, so I, I cope with that. And then I bullshit myself thinking that marijuana is a healthy drug. It's a plan. There's nothing wrong with it. And we have all these excuses we make for it. And yet his performance was suffering. He wasn't as happy as he wanted to be. He was, there was a facade of who he was. And when he got real, when I said, Hey brother, I, I care about you. I love you. But like, I'm watching you become a disheveled version of yourself. And you're, you think cannabis is like a cure-all. Why do you want to do it? And he goes, I'm emotionally like I broken. I can't do it. And when he got real with himself, he started to change his path and he now doesn't even smoke cannabis anymore. Took him a couple yeah. of years, but it he does take it. time yeah. because we've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And it's very scary too, but to, um, acknowledge our feelings and then if we sit with them 
we realize they're not going to kill us. Because, of course, it's all about survival, right? Your friend was just cannabis because he really did think that if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to survive. But if you can sit with the feelings, there's a beautiful book called When Things Fall Apart by a Buddhist monk called Pima Chodron. And she basically says is that we, we try so hard to avoid pain that we actually cause ourselves more pain. So we try so hard to avoid pain. So your friend is, you know, smoking or I'm throwing up and binging. And boy, if we had just sat with our feelings and dealt with them and been honest, we wouldn't have had to go through even greater pain that had nothing to do with the original pain. And so sitting through and, and just feeling them. And then, like you said, when you feel them, and if you don't let it simmer too long, then you don't blow up and misuse, you know, misexpress them. You express them in a way that says, you know, Wiley, I feel angry because you didn't call me back. Instead of yelling three weeks later that, you know, we're done, we're never going to be friends. <laughs> because Exactly. And it's, it, that's the healthy confrontation we're missing in, in our world. It's, it's being able to sit with the energy of the feeling, the emotions, and then having a conversation around what that is, especially when you have a relationship with someone, it's almost like, you're right. Wiley, why didn't you, you know, I'm angry. You didn't call me back. I'd be like, you know what? My, my apologies, my bad. I just got lost in my stuff and I completely didn't even pay attention to that email. And it becomes a really healthy dynamic that keeps, it's almost a positive momentum going with these types of relationships and relationship with yourself matters first and foremost, because if you don't have that, you don't have that connection with your emotions. You don't have the connection with who you are. You're not strong in your own resolve. How are you expecting to have healthy, balanced, boundaryful relationships with others? It becomes this like idealized version of life rather than an experience of a very successful, happy life. And it's amazing. It's like having someone go, Hey man, I care about you. Um, but you're killing yourself. And him going, uh, I hate that you said that, but I'm going to listen because I know you care. So that's the thing. It's like giving people truth is hard. It's very hard for people to sit with the truth. For the person who's saying it and for the, because I I know for me, it's hard still. No, it's not easy because you're afraid of whatever. If we actually sit with it and realize what we're afraid of, it's not that like he'll yell at me. I mean, (laughs) He won't be my friend anymore, but wait, he's a drug addict. So what does that matter? You know, we don't even think through even that our fears about things. You know, what's crazy is he's a sick, you know, like he he worked in a financial firm. He made $400,000 a year. It's like, he's doing okay financially, but he's miserable. And it's like, okay, your money does is not buying you out of that. And you're coping with life. Yeah. What's it worth to you? And it, it, but it goes back to that thing is sitting, like you said, sitting in your, again, a big part of even what I, I love, you said it, can we sit in our emotions and appreciate the value of how uncomfortable they feel? I mean, you said that I'm willing to go through discomfort. I mean, I have to tell you that, yes, I have done marathons and Ironman and uh, swam for eight hours in the ocean at a time, but emotional discomfort, and probably you're the same way because you've um, are an athlete and a soldier, you can go through physical discomfort, but it's often for some reason that emotional discomfort is sometimes scarier for us. And, and by the way, a lot of people cover up their, like you might've uh, emotional discomfort with physical discomfort just to make up for it. 
Oh yeah. The gym became my drug. Yeah. I totally understand. I was 245 pound dude. Like it's, it became a, a weightlifting six days a week, three hours a day in the gym kind of a thing when I was in college. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm covering up the way in which I, I, I feel very, uh, disconnected from my, the, the power of my emotions because I went to war and I came home from combat and I, I didn't know how to integrate back into life and deal with the demons that I was still kind of carrying around. So it, I think emotional discomfort is, is by far the very, the hardest thing that people actually, um, avoid. It's the thing they avoid the most. And if we can get people that are listening to go, wait a minute, if I can value the power of being uncomfortable in my emotions, I can find, the energy that they provide to me, they can become an asset for me. I tell people constantly, I've worked with these people, these powerful people. I'm like, look, fear is an indicator that things are changing for you. You're not being attacked by a saber tooth tiger. It's not happening. So what is, what is the alternative? They're like, oh, well, you're being faced with a challenge you're, you're very uncomfortable with and you can't control. Guess what happens? transformation. So if you can lean into that and you can embrace that and you can understand the, the erratic emotions you're feeling right now, this is good. Sit with it. Let it power you. Let Hold it for a moment. Tactically identify what emotion you're feeling so that you can utilize it for your power source, if you will, in the progress that you seek for your life. And, and we have, it's quick. People are quick, Alexandra, to feel it and want to get rid of it. It's like, I want to feel it. I want to mask it. I want to cope with it. I want to get rid of it. Which is why in society, you have people saying, someone gets confronted, what's the first reaction people do? They, they attack right back. They just release it. They don't know how to hold it. They don't know how to sit with it and go, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. I'm being confronted right now about something that I did X, Y, Z. Hmm. I don't like the way this feels. It's the same thing with running a podcast. It's like, it's uncomfortable at times having conversations, figuring out how to hold attention and talk. You feel the butterflies. You, that's okay. Sit with that. What is this? Oh, this is good. I mean, I am going with it anyway. And if you can sit with that, you'll find you'll get through it much quicker. I think we spend more time trying to avoid fear and uncomfortable emotions than we do actually just moving through them and experiencing them and letting them be. And sometimes the emotion that first comes up is just the cover for the other emotion deeper. So you, that's why it's important to sit because it'll change. Some people, like I'm quick yeah. to tears rather than anger, which is, of course, makes sense, right? Because I am a woman and I've been yeah. taught it's still there not to lash out uh, with fists or big voices, which you, as a man, that is usually the first thing. You don't go to tears first, but underneath that anger might be a sadness and a pain. And under my tears is probably a lot of anger or shame or, you know, there's just things that are deeper. So when we sit with a feeling, then we can, pardon me, then we can, I okay. thought I turned off my phone, but I guess I didn't. I thought it was mine for a minute. It's all good. <laughs> um, if we sit with it, we'll realize what's under it even deeper. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't even give yeah. it the time. Yeah. So that's the time. It's interesting. You brought, the, you brought that up. It is interesting because I look at it as a, a feminine, masculine, yin and yang kind of, of, of energetic balance where women uh, or feminine, I won't say women, f the feminine energy is quick to the, 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 the movement of energy, the emotion, okay, the, the tears. I'm going to use it for, for all intents and purposes, that label. Whereas the masculine energy, which is more structural, and it goes right to like the hard boundary, the energy of anger, frustration, like, yeah, attack. Finding the balance between those two and realizing that it's interesting is now 
if I, cause life is, is chaotic in general. It's messy. We we're all around each other trying to operate in our own realities with a simultaneous reality. We all exist in, we have different views, beliefs, et cetera. So we're constantly dealing with moving around this chessboard of stress. So what ends up happening is if I'm experiencing a, something I don't like, I instantly realize, okay. And this goes back to my health as a standard, because when you're healthy, when you're living an optimal life from a physicality standpoint, eating right, you have an, a new capacity to be able to manage now other elements of life. I don't, I might feel angry. I might have an emotion of frustration. I go, you know what? I'm feeling it right now. Guess what that means? There's something underneath I need to let go of and release an experience. And I literally tell my wife, I just need 10 minutes and I'll go for a walk in the woods. I have half an acre and I live in Sedona, Arizona. I've got a, so I go walk out in the backyard and I sit with it. And if emotion comes up, I'm like, oh, there it is. I know what that is. You know what's happening right now? I just went through a huge battle with that client of mine. I just dealt with a very serious change that I just took from them and carried with them. And that's what it is. I identified it because I was willing to sit with the discomfort of it rather than reacting to it the moment it hit me. Right. I agree completely. I mean, it's, you were saying you're, you're in a balanced place for yourself, but you're like, Hey, I'm still human. I have feelings, but my tears are energy in motion. It is emotional movement. Where is it coming from? Why am I experiencing that? Oh, that's what it is. And when then you allow yourself that moment to be grounded and you can savor, see, we go back to the beginning, savor even the emotion, the discomfort of it. Oh my gosh. It's so freeing and so empowering. And you can see solutions so much clearly. Yes, It's amazing. You're exactly right. And, yeah. and, and touching on the wow. physical is when you don't pollute your body or feel sick, your the feelings can move through more easily because if you're, if you're not feeling good physically, that can block a lot of emotion stuff. So it's important. Yeah. But I mean, I know we're humans, so we're not, it's hard to work on everything. <laughs> so, but I think probably that the, the, the wise words from our conversation would be to savor the moment and then we won't act out of um, addiction or reaction and yeah, that, that, that brings us back to ourselves, our more authentic selves and what's really going on, what we're really feeling if we take a moment to savor. Right. And you know what this is, comes down to is we're breaking down barriers that have been imposed on us by ourselves for generations. This idea that it needs to be compartmentalized and very limited and it needs to look a certain way and feel a certain way. I think we're, we're, what we're doing, especially people like us that are in these positions to give uh, others the atmosphere or the environments to do the same is to change that paradigm, to really challenge it and erupt it and, 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 and break it down because human beings are dynamic creatures. We are not compartmentalized boxes, robotic systematized things that need to execute a, B, C, D. It's so fluid. And when we can savor the fluidity of who we are and the energy we carry and the, the differences in our capacity and understanding our journey and going all the way back to where you started, like talking about how you, you didn't feel you could express yourself and then you discovered why and then what it meant and what you were coping with. It's a, the journey becomes less arduous and more exciting for us. And I, and I found that myself getting out of the military and I'm sure you did through your processes like it's exciting to discover, rediscover and understand and optimize who you are because that is what then as a byproduct creates peace and happiness as a set point in your life. So then when you perform from that space, 
there's nothing you can't accomplish. And I want people to walk away from this conversation going, wow, if one thing you can take from Alexandra is savor the discomfort, savor the moments, savor the feelings, be real with yourself. Even if you have to go shut yourself in a closet and go, okay, why am I upset? Don't, and you don't want to show people do it rather than it takes more energy to avoid than it does to confront. And if you're willing to confront yourself, you're limitless in your possibilities. Or even sitting with yeah. yourself. So if you, cause some people don't like the term confront. We women, we're afraid of that term, Wiley. <laughs> so I mean, sitting, <laughs> I sitting with ourselves and letting it unfold, giving it the, that space. Yeah. 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 Wow. I mean, I cannot believe how fast time has already gone. I think we could probably talk for another hour on this very specific thing. And I'm really, really glad that you're here. Then you're able to, to dive into this with me, um, especially with bringing up the whole mental, emotional weakness and really giving people some insights on how powerful it is to truly face or sit with your feelings and what's really there and, uh, and, and get after it. And again, the, the word confrontation does have a very specific and it meaning works for to a it, lot but, of people too. Um, I mean, it really depends on who you're working with also. Oh yeah, of course. Of course we can, again, it's okay. That's the beautiful part is we're not, we're not committed to labels. We're under, we're understanding and committed to the the purpose behind what we're sharing. And I love that, that you shared that with us today, but um, yeah, it's been fantastic. I, I, I know we're at our time here, but what I want to do real quick before we, you and I go is I just want to share with people because I have an appreciation for whiskey. I am doing a whiskey giveaway once a month for the rest of 2023 to help introduce people to a new way to appreciate yeah. spirits. So the, the link of that will be provided in the description box. It's an up viral link. If you want to get in on it and you're listening to this, you want to kind of learn about the whiskey itself so you can stop drinking to get drunk and actually start enjoying the savoring moments of uh, fine spirit. Uh, make sure you jump into that giveaway, uh, fill out those, uh, the steps that follow. And if you win, I'll make sure I reach out to you directly via email. Um, also I appreciate everybody being here. Make sure you like, and subscribe to the podcast, Alexandra. This has been a fantastic conversation. You've been very revealing for very in inspirational insights that can help change the way people approach their own weaknesses, if you will, and, and change their life through their diet, their health, their standards, uh, so they can live from a place of peace and satisfaction. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we got to enjoy this really fun whiskey Monday. I look forward to maybe down the road hearing what your uh, your mother has to say yeah. about it since she's a Scotch person. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I hope we can stay in touch. Um, Sure. But thank you so much for being here. It's been a fantastic conversation. And thank you for everybody who's listening and supporting the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, until the next conversation. Cheers. Schlag. Slancha. That's what it is. Slancha. Yeah. <laughs> it's Gaelic to your health. For those listening today, thanks for hanging out with us. If you're digging what you're hearing, don't forget to give that subscribe button a tap and make sure you rate and review the show. Catch you all in the next conversation. Cheers.